to Symphony Podcast Week. Yes, we have a very special guest with us today. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> we have, um, I'm so excited for this. We have Baritone Michael Lees with us today. Um, and he's going to talk to us about just life he's and gonna, everything. He's gonna blow your mind. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, mind. please. Um, so to start off, so we have uh, just a little bit about him. Um, Michael Mays, with a powerful voice and an arresting stage presence, baritone Michael Mays <laughs> is known for consummate portrayals of modern operatic masterpieces, as well as iconic characters in the standard operatic repertoire. Originally from Cut and Shoot, Texas, Mays has performed with opera companies across the U.S., including Washington National, Dallas, Nashville, um, Boston Lyric, Des Moines, Central City, New Orleans, my home, yeah. <laughs> Michigan Opera, and Fort Worth. And so many. I was going to Oh, so many, yeah. yeah. Um, but we're so excited to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. We, um, so first of all, I just want to start with this off the bat. Um, we have to talk about the fact that your dog is named Peter Barker. Peter Barker. Oh, that's such and a good I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed. As both, I think we're both very strong dog people. Oh, yeah. We appreciate a good dog. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's strong with the dog. Uh, oh. He looks like, Pete looks like, calling you Pete for short, you know, but he looks like, if in the dictionary you look up, dog. Yeah. He's just dumb. He's, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he's like good. average size, yeah. you know, average size, average weight, average everything. Mm-hmm. Average intelligence. Oh, <laughs> Well, I have to start by saying that as I, I consider myself a bit of a geography nerd all right. when it comes to just like knowing maps and places and all that sort of thing. And so when I read your bio that you were from a place called Cut and Shoot, Texas, right. I did a double take. Yeah. I, I Everyone just, does. I couldn't believe that was true. But of all the states to be in, of course, I'm sure it had to be Texas. Be Texas. Right. Um, but I'm so curious as to your upbringing in that area and your exposure to music. Well, you know, like everybody down there, um, I played football for like seven years or whatever, and, and I grew up in church playing, you know, playing bluegrass and country, bluegrass and gospel music, and then playing country music, you know, with my friends and stuff. And, um, it was, you know, my music ed- my music exposure early was all in the church, you know, uh-huh. so I didn't have a lot of um, formal education. I mean, Texas has a pretty good back then. It used to be called the Tate of the Arts. I don't know what they're doing now. <laughs> they moved to block scheduling and everything's going crazy and they don't care about, you know, music and, and the arts anymore. But back when I was there, it was, you know, everything in Texas, you know, Texans have to be the best of everything. So that included the arts and band. So in some places you'll still find that, but, you know, the, the whole thing is sort of moving towards cuts and arts and band, which is a damn shame because it was a great, I can say cuts words, right? Yeah, okay. So I was in there and, um, I got in church. You, you, you get up, and the great thing about, about singing in church, starting in church, is that no matter how bad you are, everybody always tells you you're great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you get up there and just forget the words and sing out of tune. And I was like, oh, hey, brother Mike, you just blessed our hearts with your special music today. Oh, did you come, please? Please come and sing for us next Sunday. And you're standing there next to the preacher who's, you know, giving his fire and brimstone. I grew up with missionary Baptist, so mm-hmm. we made the Southern Baptist look like a bunch of crazy liberals. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and so you sit back there with the preacher, and he's giving his fire and brimstone sermon. So he's getting all the all the congratulations, and you're sitting right next to him. You're, yeah, 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 amen, brother Mike. You're doing great. So confidence is, is a, it's a great confidence building. So I, you know, I was doing that all the way through. You know, I was a little kid through elementary school and middle school, and I was in the little choirs and stuff. 
But then, like anything else, you know, everybody else in Texas started playing football. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't so cool to be a choir nerd. So, <laughs> um, I played football for about seven years and just, you know, I was plugging away. My freshman year in high school, I was uh, uh, playing linebacker. My fingers got snagged in a face mask and it broke. Oh, like three fingers on one hand. So I walked into my typing class. We had to take typing class back in Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before you had to shoot your thumbs. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I could have gotten away with that because I broke those Oh, yeah, there you go. But uh, I broke those fingers and I had this big, you know, club in my hand. And the typing teacher was like, go to the counselor. You can't, you can't finish this class. So I go to the counselor and she was like, there's only two things you can do halfway through the quarter or the semester. And that's theater and choir. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to join that theater club too much. Yeah. So weird. Those theater kids are weird. Yeah, no. Well, you know, the irony is I ended up becoming a theater guy. You know, my, so uh, I chose the choir because I thought it'd be easy A because I could already sing because I had all the confidence from church. You see. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I left, you know, high school, I made all state and I quit playing football. And was president of the choir and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got a scholarship to go to the University of North Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I discovered. What opera was, but I have no idea what it was. Yeah. I think my parents, in preparation, bought me a, a three tenors concert for the LA Philharmonic. Oh, okay. <laughs> the the oh, there we go. Yeah. I was a tenor back then. Right. Like, you so oh, yeah. 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 And so it was. It was a little rough, but uh, you know, I, I started up when I, when I got to college. I tell you, since we're you guys, are, you guys are, are, are graduate students or undergrad? No, we're undergrad. So, yeah. When I got to school, I didn't know anything about opera. Mm. I walked into my did my audition for the for the choirs, you know, got the top acapella choir. Really thought I was doing great. We walked in the first day of uh, rehearsal, and it was nothing but weird ass 20th century music, which I had never been exposed to in my life. <laughs> and I was like, what is this nonsense? You know, 12, 14, 6, 3, 5, what is this Tamsin? It's just I can't read it. Yeah. You know, none of the none of the none of the uh, Harmonies made any sense to me because they weren't you know, tall. Yeah. And so I'm freaking out. I go into my, I go into my, uh, my uh, choir director, and I'm like, "Listen, I'm, I've made a huge mistake. I don't belong here. I can I can barely read music at all. And uh, I said, I can't, I can't do this. And I'm, you know, I'm breaking down, I'm crying. You know, so I'm like, I've made a huge mistake. I should have just gone to co-star like I was supposed to. And um, he's like, oh, My, my son, you just calm down. We'll get you some help. And you know. Don't worry about anything. Just give it a year. If it doesn't work, then you can do anything else. You know, I was like, all right. They gave me some help, and I was, took remedial classes. And next thing I know, I was, you know, I fit right in. You know, I got a bad, pretty good ear, so when that lined up with what I was seeing, it made a lot of sense. And so what's kind of funny about that is like now I make my career doing mostly modern, contemporary work. I do, yeah. I do a lot of both things, but there are years when I have 80, 90% of my work is contemporary. Mm-hmm. So I went from that. Being able to read music to being that's all I do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I kinda got got into it. You know, I mean it wasn't you know, it wasn't popular in high school to be a choir guy, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, a great community there, cool uh, you know, people that were really open and, and kind of nurturing. So yeah. a little bit different than the football team. Yeah, and I think a lot of people like like especially like talking to people like in our class in San Diego, like share like similarities to your story, obviously. Like yeah. A lot of us 
Um, like I know, I didn't know a whole lot of operas coming in, but actually, Edmund Walking at New Orleans Opera was the second opera that I saw live. Oh, you saw you saw me do that. Oh, I saw you. <laughs> oh, I saw you. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think there's like like when you take that step and when those teachers really help you and they guide you along the way in undergrad, like that's when things just go from zero to hundred. Yeah. In the best way possible. That's the fun part, because that's, that's when you make all the big leaps. Mm -hmm. You make all the big leaps when you're young. And mm -hmm. you get to my age, everything's incremental and right. tiny. And it's still, it's still great to achieve, but man, it's like all that work, you get this little bit of... So when, when was it that you had decided that opera was going to be your career? You know, I really didn't, I didn't really get it. I mean, in college, the first opera I saw was Samson Delilah. Oh, wow. And you know, I was like, what is this nonsense? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, weird. Yeah, that's I was weird. like, what is, is this what I'm choosing to do in my life? All these gigantic people moving real slow and singing real slow and acting real slow and it's totally unbelievable. But, you know, I, I stuck with it because it was the only thing I thought to do was my scholarship. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta stick with it to be in the scholarship. So I, I sort of I sort of came, I got an acquired taste for opera. It took a long time, all the mm -hmm. way through my and uh, what really kind of hooked me in, though, it wasn't Monsa de Figaro, it wasn't, it was street scene. Really? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I, I, I was doing other stuff, and you know, all my friends were, they were already miles ahead of me, but I was playing catch up, and when I got to street scene, I was like, no, I get this. Yeah. I understand this guy, because mm -hmm. basically my grandfather, I was playing Frank Brown. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So I understand this guy, I understand these people, uh, I can tell the story. Yeah. And, I got really excited, you know, and I was like, wow, this is really great. This is what I want to do all the time in opera. And then, you know, back to like, I'm going to be my patrimonial. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a great, it's a great undergrad opera, right? Because totally. you don't practice, you don't, you don't bring any bad technique. Yeah, but we said it was like, that again. It's like if Cozy <laughs> and Figaro had a baby, yeah. it was a little bit, you know. You're never gonna, you're never gonna have to do conduct. As a professional, you never got to worry about breaking old habits because it's never gonna be done. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it, it just took me in because it, it was it was Verismo. it was real, yeah, you know, and it was in my language, yeah. And I think it's funny because a, a lot of folks weigh into opera is they they'll, they'll say to somebody that's never seen opera and never understood it before they go, well, I did opera, you go see the first one is Magic Flute, and I'm like, bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't drag anybody from cut and shoot. To imagine Flute and go, isn't this great? Because we're going to be like, hell fucking no. Yeah, we're going to be like, what is that no, green bird man doing? Why is there a wizard and what is he doing? <laughs> How long have I been here? Yeah. yeah, literally. So, you know, for me, like, the, the way in was street singing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think for, the, for most Americans, if you're trying to, to, to reach an American audience, the way in is new works. The way in is contemporary. It's in their language. Most of the time it's in their, in their, uh, Musicological vernacular. There's mm -hmm. jazz, there's blues, there's all that, all that influence that's there. And especially now, we've, you know, we, once we got grew out of the whole like serial music and atonal, that's the only way that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great in the laboratory, but that's we'll, a good we'll yeah. circle back to that. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So once we got that set, and, and it's so like I, I, I say, you know, I always call it Cabo, which is contemporary American free style opera. Mm. I'm a hashtag made. That's nice. The kids are into the hashtag. It's got a ring. Yeah. yeah. It's also a club now. It's on the strip called Cabo. Oh. Completely different business. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, for me, that was that—that that was the way in. 
was that music. And I, and I, I see it all the time because I, I get the privilege to do a lot of contemporary work. Mm -hmm. and, and it's always popular with the conscience, you know. It's, it's glory denied, which is about the longest held PLW in American history. It's Dead Man Walking, which is about the death penalty. It's uh, Everest, which is about the character I play. It struggles with suicidal ideation and depression and uses climbing to get over his problems. Those things for me, they have, they have a resonance with any audience, with any, you know, people can actually relate to that subject. It's not so distant. It's not in a different language. It's not in a huge opera house and everybody's wearing suits and ties. You know, it's in, like I'll do those things, those pieces in non-traditional spaces. Mm -hmm. They're smaller and people are closer to the action. And for me, I think that's the future of the whole art form is, you know, smaller operas, shorter operas, smaller casts, smaller orchestras. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's my way in. Wow. That's mine. Yeah. So, actually, speaking of all your work in contemporary opera, mm -hmm. um, we were curious if you would share with us the story about how you first got into contact with Jake Heggie. Oh, absolutely. Became, yeah. Well, know, Jake, I mean, you know, Jake is Jake is a complete asshole. He's the <laughs> meanest son of a bitch you've ever met. I hope he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I doubt he's listening. He's, he's actually like the sweetest, most wonderful. No matter where he goes, where his work's being done, he's 100% supportive. He's always, you know, what, what people people often think about composers, kind of like they think about their music history professors. Mm. You know, kind of like they're they're the gatekeepers, and they're like, oh, you moron, you don't know anything about. Let me just teach you. No, that's not that's not true. Yeah. Every composer I know is like, oh, thank God my work's being done, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's Jake. Even at Jake's level, he's like, I'm so happy we're doing this. It's all good. So when I met him the first time was when I did um, Dead Man Walking in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, which, you know, was interesting because, you know, other states were trying to get rid of the death penalty on Oklahoma's express lane. So it was interesting. It actually was a great success there. People really loved it. But that's where I met Jake for the first time. And he really liked what I did and gave me a lot of great advice, you know, while I was getting ready to do it and, and going through the process with John Especially for that, he's such a, a nurturing John Papa. He's such a uh, a nurturing guy that taking somebody like me through that role for the first time was really indispensable. Mm -hmm. It yeah. laid the groundwork for not the next nine times I would do it. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but yeah, so do you find that like with that role, like? Do you find something new in it every single time? I mean, you, every time you do something, it's just it's you, you always find like, yeah. you know, find little moments and things, and it's it is not like I, I discovered Measure Thirty Seven or this, <laughs> right. you know, or that's what it's not. It's never that. It's just it's an immediacy, immediate. Uh, it's, it's the immediate access to certain emotions and certain things that, that drive the drama forward. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not technical. Mm -hmm. Things I get aren't technical. Things I get aren't. I learn each time. Aren't it's all about the storytelling, you know. We, we tend to, at least when I was in school, everything was sort of, you know, this music education was over here, and performance was over here, and theory is over here, and orchestra, you know, is over there, and choirs over here, and it's really much more holistic. It's much more together. So that's, for me, that's the way I feel about performing and telling stories is that it's a holistic thing. And so yeah, it's you know when I when I. From, from performance to performance, I couldn't tell you, oh, tonight I got this, yeah. But I do know that I moved a little bit forward, a little, one step closer to being rather than singing. 
right. to being rather than acting, to just being, just walking on stage and telling a story mm -hmm. and not thinking about rhythm and not thinking about breath mm -hmm. and not thinking about all the nonsense that you shouldn't be thinking about when you're performing. Right. All you should be thinking about is telling a story. Yeah. So every time I do the story, do Dead Man Walking, you know, I can tell, I can get to the storytelling part that much faster mm -hmm. and get out of it. Because that's hard. You know, yeah. a role like Dead Man, you saw that production. Yeah. It's like, it's really intense. And if you're really doing your job, you know, you're going to have some really, you know, it's going to have some emotional turbulence in your life. You know? Yeah. You know? I was about to ask if roles like that are like in Glory Denied, like those are ever oh like, God. so, like, it's just so emotional. Oh. Right? Yeah. Put a pen in the Glory Denied. I'll tell you the about that right now. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, the hardest part is, is not taking it home with you, isn't it? Or, is, or not being able to get into it in time, you know, and that that sort of time on either end of the performance, you know, sometimes it's a circle that you never leave. Mm -hmm. And then each time, you know, I do Joseph, I can, the, the time, the prep time and the come down time is, it's less and less and less. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now I can, I walk through the stage door, open my dressing room, and I walk in on Joseph, and I'm Joseph the rest of the night, and I'm, I'm done, I can just put, put that candle out. Walking out being myself again. Yeah. But yeah. when I first did it, I was walking around Oklahoma, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like one gigantic suburb. Yeah. You know, and uh, nothing against Tulsa, it's a great city. Yeah. So <laughs> Tulsa, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, I felt him with me all the time, especially, especially when I had like crazy haircut and weird and right. facial hair. And yeah. I didn't really fit in. I don't fit in the suburbs anyway. So this was double, I was double down, crazy redhead. And there would be, you know, women sort of with their children, like standing between them and their stroller, like, uh. So yeah, yeah, the part is, is is getting out of it and coming back in that stuff. And the emotional thing, like the Lord denied, you know, the last time I did that show, I did it in Nashville, and Alice, Colonel Thompson's wife, is buried him out down there. So we all, as a cast, went out because wow. of regret. And then uh, opening night, the whole family was there. Because all of his kids were there. And I've been corresponding with, with Laura Thompson, which is his daughter, uh, just trying to get an idea about him. You know, I've done the show three, it's like this is my third iteration. So when I first did it, I was like, you know, thank God for Facebook, because I was I just found her on Facebook, started messaging her. And she was like, Oh, I'll be happy to help you, you know. So we talked and went back and forth and established a relationship. And she finally got to see me do it in, in Nashville, her and Floyd and Pam, and they all came. And um, at the end of the show, she walked up to me and she's like, you know, it was, I just saw, it's just like having daddy up there. Mm -hmm. I, could, I, could just, I mean, I could just see him up there. And she goes, yeah. you know, I've been holding on to something for 30 years. You know, and he, he, and, he and his kids were estranged at his death. So mm -hmm. Colonel Thompson, this American hero, was nine years in a prison camp in Vietnam. He was buried, his, his ashes were spread at sea by complete strangers. Mm -hmm. because None of his kids were allowed to come to us until we were estranged. And she said, I love my daddy dearly, but we were estranged my, at his death. I never got to say goodbye to him. It's time I really got, I feel like I got to say goodbye to my father. Wow. Now, you know, that's, that, that in itself is amazing. And she goes, I've been holding on to something for 30 years. And she presses this coin into my hand. And I turn it over, and it's Colonel Thompson's uh, one-year sobriety coin with a raised nodule that's been rubbed down from when he used to rub it. And so, like, the difference between, you know, doing 
not to be together. Yeah. It's at the end of the night, no matter, no matter how good you do your jobs, right? No one's going to have that experience. No one's going to have that experience. I mean, unless they're really, I mean, the, the crowd, you know, yeah. maybe. But I want to meet that person. Right. Oh my gosh. Glory to God. That happens all the time. And that's, you talk about what, what made you choose opera. That is what made me choose opera. Mm -hmm. That's what makes me choose every morning when I get up. When I'm on the road and I haven't seen my wife in eight weeks and I haven't seen my house in nine months. Mm -hmm. That's why I choose over and over again. Because really, it's an insane job to do for yeah. yourself. It's mm -hmm. a crazy job. It's bad for your mental health, trust me. Spending not ever seeing your front door or your partner or anything, that's or you dress to your family. That's not good for your brains. So why do I do it? That's why. Because of those moments, because I feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. We did this show in in uh, Nashville. This guy stood up. You gotta always gotta do a talk back. And you actually doing glory to not here, by the way, February. Yeah. Uh Perdon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um always do a talk back. Because you know it's, it's it's 77 minutes of white knuckle, like, oh my god, like this is the most beautiful, terrible story I've ever heard in my life, you know. And at the end of the show, there's all these people, a lot of times vets are in the audience, you know, and they're they're going through this stuff. Or, or why is the vets are going through this stuff with us? And then to just drop them off and be like, all right, have a good night, folks. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, right. hey, Thanks for coming. All right, rest uh, you well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your flashbacks. Uh, oh, yeah, it's gonna be crazy tonight. It's gonna be a long night. Oh gosh. So we have a have a talk back. Often we have an army psychologist there, or Tom Philpott's there, or Tom Chapulo's wow. there. Yeah. And this guy, like, you know, everybody talk. One guy stood up and starts yelling at us, like, you know, you violated us. You know, we, you know, I'm a, I'm a vet, the Vietnam vet. You violated us. I can't believe. I mean, I, I can't believe I was sitting here going through this stuff, and I wanted to thank you. He But there's this guy who stood up, he was kind of soft poker, and he was like, Well, I want to tell you guys that, you know, because the opera does, it tells the story of, of Colonel Thompson and his wife and their relationship. There's an old Thompson and young Thompson, an old Alice and young Alice. So it tells the story of their relationship and how PTSD destroyed it, and how PTSD is destroying not only the family, but this entire affecting our country with PTSD over and over again. So he stood up and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm married to uh, a, a, a veteran. So my wife is in Guantanamo Bay just after the scandal broke. And so uh, when she came home, she was never the same. And my two, three-year-old son just couldn't understand why his mom was different and began to resent her. And um, their relationship just deteriorated. The older he got, the more the rage came. He wouldn't listen to her, wouldn't, talk, wouldn't tell her he loved her. Very distant. And he says, tonight, he reached over and he grabbed my leg at the end of the show. And he says, I think I understand mom now. And, I, and, the, and we're all just like, just like this. Mm -hmm. you know? And the kid is sitting there with his head in his hands. He's just crying. You know? And the guy tells us, he goes, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a husband of no one, no one ever tells our story, but this story has uh, related to her so much because it's rarely told, you know. And then like a month later, we get this email that the company forwarded to all of us. And he said, my son's relationship with his mother has completely changed. Oh, he walks up to her, he hugs her, and he tells her he loves her. These are things that he hasn't done in his entire life as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And 
right in the chest. That's that's why I choose it mm -hmm. over and over again. Yeah. I love to do Beyonce. I love to do this. I love all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Ring leather. Oh boy, nothing I love more <laughs> except this. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's that great advantage of contemporary opera is that you really can tell contemporary stories. Yeah, and it's so much easier to. Yeah. I can tell contemporary stories to my contemporaries. Right. Yeah. Not to, yeah. I, you know, I'm not telling, you know, a story that, yes, there are all these operas that, are, that have lasted all these hundreds of years are timeless. That's why it lasted a hundred years. But in order to get to the people like that, that, like that kid mm -hmm. who was 18 or 19 and sitting in a vast hall in Fort Worth, or no, it was at the time, it wasn't even built yet, so it was at Terrence County Convention Center. That's where the opera was. <laughs> And in order to, to, to reach that, that person the first time that you get him to sit in that seat, you, it's, it's, you can do it with Bowen. You can, I mean, you really can. You can do it with Beyonce. But you, but you have a lot better chance of doing it with Lower or Everest or, you know, uh, Cold Mountain or something like that. Something that reaches them in a way that's not, that's not talking down or condescending. Right. Do you find that, like, um, I guess when you do stuff like Tosca or like Throw with Away and like yeah. you have those roles, like I guess there's this kind of like stigma that like when you're acting those, it's the kind of like, oh, opera acting that's like very unreal. You ever catch me do that? You just come up, come Boy, up, I up know you and you're like, I know what you were you doing out there? <laughs> Stop it. And I'll like, thank you because I, I forgot. No, I know you don't. <laughs> but do you know, like, like, do you think that like all those contemporary operas have sort of inspired and yes. learned from them? For to what to add to Rigoletto. I've said this before: is that what contemporary opera taught me how to love classic opera. Yeah. That was my gateway mm -hmm. because I didn't get it. I didn't understand that how how to communicate an emotion, a real emotion, while I'm singing and acting and really inhabiting the character. I really didn't until I did it in English, and then I was like, oh, because I didn't have to think in another language and That's think. So true, yeah. About what, how would this nobleman do? I mean, who, get the hell out of here, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm good with a trailer in East Texas. I don't care <laughs> about a nobleman. Yeah. So for me, like the access, what really got, really turned me on was, you know, telling my own stories in my own language. And then that gave me the context to be able to tell stories in other cultures. And like, you know, to do like, you know, Rigoletto or Jack Rance or. Things like that, which I found a little easier because it's kind of American. But you know, I was able to, to, to tell those stories in those languages because then I felt I could I could remember what it, what it was like to feel that emotion while I was singing, mm -hmm. while I was trying to communicate. And that when I got back, the first time I came, when I, first time I experienced that awesome moment, that that like quickening, mm -hmm. you're really doing it on stage, you feel the audience with you, where it's like ah, oh, people are crying off, and it's terrible, terribly wonderful. And you go, the first time I felt that, and then I went back to do like, I think it was not, uh, Barbara Seville or something, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, you know, something very standard. I was like, wait, I gotta, I gotta feel like that while I'm doing this now? Mm -hmm. is, is that the right way? And then I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to feel it. Mm. It shouldn't feel like you're doing something for like a grade or an exam or trying to hit the right buttons or notes. Just tell the story. Right. Tell the story. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, like, what's your strategy like uh, when you're learning something like Dead Man Walking or Moby Dick? And does that, 
differ in any large way from learning something with Puccini or Mozart? Or is it really the same approach? It's all the same. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it, that's, what, that's what, you know, I used to have that, that, that yeah. division in my mind okay. between this is the way I do this and this is the way I don't do that anymore. Right. Like, like when I, I get into trouble sometimes, it's like, whoa, 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 you know, that's not right. But for me, it has to be the same. It is the same. It's, there's an artificial wall that was built by intellectuals or whatever before, but that's, <laughs> look, I am not a, I'm not a, a, a university person. I mean, I went to university, I went to Manhattan, and grad school too, and all that stuff, but, but I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, you know, I've got the privilege of having been able to go to college and go to a, you know, get a full ride to CCM so I didn't have to pay. No way I would have gone to grad school. Yeah, no way. So I got this enormous privilege to be able to learn this different way of telling stories that was different, but very much the same. It's just a different language. That's all. And I don't mean Italian German, I just mean our language of communication. You know, mm -hmm. It's different, but as effective, and I submit many times more effective. So you feel that, I, I take it then you feel, because this is the way you said earlier, we can bring it back to this about Balzac. Yeah. Where you're yes. just yes. Yeah. Yeah. First Balzac. Yeah. So you just, it's the same. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's going to, that's it's tough. That has different, you know, <laughs> different challenges, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the point is, right, the point is, is that as an artist, uh, as a storytelling artist, like an opera singer or a musical theater person or just a theater person, the idea is that the words occur to you just like they're occurring to me now. Mm -hmm. That's how it should happen. Yeah. And so, you know, with, with Waltzek, the challenge is, holy crap, <laughs> look at this guy, we're on the pink finder's note and all that stuff. <laughs> but you sort of, I mean, the, the point is to get it to the point where it's second nature, where it just comes. So you don't have to be thinking, oh shit, what's the next thing? Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. That's gotta be gone. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And a lot of times, you know, and, and you can't prepare for that. You can't go, like, you know, if you're doing your first not there, right? Yeah, that's me you trying to ruin my wretched. You can't sit in your dressing room and go, like, blank, blank, you know. Uh, why can't I remember all this? Because you can't remember it because you don't, you don't have any context. You, have, yeah. you don't have the other people with you. Yeah. You know, in theater, when they tell stories, when they when they when they, when they rehearse, they sit in a room like this, and they open the book for the first time. You know, you know. We, we have to study for weeks before we show up. They they start and they're just reading, and they have and they build it right there as a group. They build the story together. We don't do that. We build it on our own and just try to put these weird puzzle pieces together from all over the country. Yeah. Which is a bizarre way of doing business, but you know, it's it's part of the thing. So you have to, what we have to do is, is you know, we don't have time to do all that. So we have to do it super fast, express money. That's mm -hmm. why you make fast friendships on the road, because you don't have time to be like, oh, I got it. Like two weeks of rehearsal, then one week of yeah. I yeah. mean, two weeks, when I was, when I was first starting out, two weeks were a luxury, man. We yeah. went to Barbara Seville, I think, in eight days. Are you? Oh, and my God. It was three of our debuts, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's the way it went in Duluth Festival Opera back then, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> So yeah, the challenge for those atonal pieces is, you know, it just, it shouldn't sound like it should sound like speech, you know, and even though they've taken, like today, much more, uh, the speech, the, the rhythm and the, and the melody, really, they try to make it like chase music, the screen about learning chase music is that 
You don't have to study the rhythm. Mm -hmm. You just got to say the words sometimes, and you figure out the rhythm. Absolutely. The rhythm lines up because it follows the natural rhythm of the voice. Mm -hmm. So the other piece, not so much, but you know, it's our job to, to bridge that gap. You know? Right. So what was the best advice that you received going through school and like on that brink of going into the professional world from either the teacher or a colleague or someone that... Roberto Mauro, whose father, Hermano Mauro, who was Pavarotti's cover forever. Okay, right? so, so we're starting there. We're starting there. So, we're there. <laughs> so Roberto, he's, he's, he actually is an artistic administrator up at uh, COC in Toronto. Mm. And... Uh, but this is back when we were both sort of like, I was, man, I was just this, I was still an idiot, man. This is back in the days. I didn't know much about anything. I was trying to, you know, I just come out of grad school. I was kind of floundering and I had gotten into, I did done Michigan Opera Theaters, so we used to be there. I did the, the resident artist program, which at that time was basically, come, we'll put you in a place, you can live here and you can do small roles. And uh, that's the young artist program. <laughs> there was no training, no coaching, none of that sure, stuff. Sure. And uh, but it, you know, it was great. It was a great way for me to learn, you know, how to be in a rehearsal room and, and how to watch people get completely humiliated by directors. <laughs> That's an important lesson there. But Roberto, uh, I think the third, maybe that, I think it was a. I have no idea. The timeline's misty because I'm getting old and everything puts together. But it, it must have been like you know the, the second or third time I was back as as a grown up. Mm -hmm. But I was still, you know, trying to trying to make my way and, and, and trying to make decisions about you know, should I take this job or should I not take this job or, you know. And I was, I was, I was there was a job, it wasn't a big role, it was kind of small, it was a smaller company and, you know, I was trying to like really climb. I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't take that, I should just say no and just kind of do nothing rather than take that, that lower level gig. And I was sitting in his office and I was trying to pitch it. I was like, Michael, you're a singer. Sing. Go sing. Go learn. Sing. You can't learn anything. You can't make a career. You can't establish anything if you're just waiting for the right time. You know. I mean, a lot of when you're talking to people all the time uh, that, that have been in the business a very long time, what they'll tell you as a young singer is the first thing you gotta learn is when to say no. When I was young, I never said no. Now I'm in my 40s, and I still don't say no. <laughs> and now is the time when I need to learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. okay. Because I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm on, 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 in the rehearsal room. I'm never happier. I love being in there. I'm not one of the people that's popped up and bolted out of the studio. I like being in that room. I like being on the stage. The second I step off the stage and I get into life, that's when everything goes to shit. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that shit goes. Mm -hmm. I'm here in the world. Mm -hmm. But in the rehearsal room, in the theater, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I can control that. I know exactly how it goes. And I'm so happy. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, I, got, I mean, that's it. I mean, you know, learn how to, you know, if you're a singer, sing. Yeah. And, and, and right now, I'm, I'm in the point where I've got to learn to say no sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, some real talk. I mean, uh, I left home in September, and I'll be—I did a concert in Baton Rouge. Yeah. And then I, as soon as I finished the concert in Baton Rouge, I flew back Denver 
grabbed my truck and my dog, I drove here to Pittsburgh, mm. and I had two days or three days to do it. Well, I had to break down the law. I ended up arriving for the sing-through at uh, 10 and sleeping for like an hour and then going to do the sing-through, right? And so I, when I finished this job on Sunday, my truck will be packed, me and Pete will get in the truck, and I have to drive 10 hours to Madison, and we sing through at 11 o'clock on Monday morning. And then when I finished that gig, I, I leave after that matinee, I drive to Des Moines, or Des Moines, or Denier, at Fort Dodge for, for, for in, in a deployment hall mm -hmm. at an active military installation. And that's a two-week rehearsal period. Mm -hmm. Really, I mean, two weeks rehearsals and shows mm -hmm. on a piece like Lord Denier. Yes. Then I have a couple weeks off, then I go to Seattle. And in Seattle, I'm doing Trovatore. Mm -hmm. And in between uh, performances of Trovatore, I'll be flying back to Atlanta to rehearse for Dead Man Walking. And then when I'm finished Trovatore, then I go there and then I have like five more days in Atlanta. Your schedule's giving me anxiety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I, then, I, then I go to Stuttgart for Nixon. Yes. yes. And Which is iconic. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just bang, 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 bang. Now, yeah. and, and that's that's all the way. That's it, it, my schedule is like that. From I don't get to see my front door again until May. Yeah. Now, that wasn't real bright. <laughs> However, you know the things that I would have had to say no to, I can't say no to. Mm -hmm. I can never say no. I mean, I, made, I, I literally told Laura any time that I get a chance to sing to play Colonel Thompson, I'll play Colonel Thompson. Yeah. I don't care if it's for a nickel. Or for five thousand dollars a night, I'll play it. Can't turn that down. Yeah. Can't turn Seattle down because it's Seattle. Can't turn Nixon down because that's Nixon. Mm -hmm. You know, can't can't turn this down because it's Pittsburgh and it's an awesome gig and I get to see my buddies. Yeah. So you can't say no. But at some point, I guess we're gonna learn our lessons. See, right. we're all you never stop learning, kids. You never hey, stop learning. Yeah. Sorry, let me say, kids. I don't say. Oh no, no, we're children. Oh no, we. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so I was super interested to know, sort of like, um, and you touched on this with, with like stepping into Joseph and Dead Man Walking, mm -hmm. but what is like your mental preparation for um, just process in general um, for shows? Mm -hmm. Like getting ready to go in? Yeah, just mental prep. Man, I, I talk to you shit all day long. <laughs> You know, like I try to, I try to move my body some, yeah. um, just to get the breath going. Because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's the thing is sometimes you just forget that you know breath is necessary. As a it's a real basic thing. It's just you know take a breath, take a breath in, and then let it go. That's that's it, man. That's complex. Yeah. That's really, it's so it's so it's so complex that it's simple. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like to move my body a little bit. Um, I don't I don't I don't do a lot of, you know, I, I like to go through the score a couple of times just to, you know, so I, because I'm, I'm a real visual learner. Mm -hmm. So um, the times when I do get up on stage and I start to go up or things get weird, unfortunately, it's like just, I can just see the score, mm -hmm. you know, but, but I can't do that if I don't have familiarity with it. So I'm always, you know, trying to, trying to do that, but it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just, Oh, it's also understanding you only have so much energy in a day, mm -hmm. and so you can't you can't be running around running your mouth and talking. You can't go out the night before and 
drink. I used to be able to do that. Um, so it's it's the process. I mean, getting ready for a role like Joseph, you know. Fortunately, uh, you know, the first few times I did it, like about four o'clock, I started like, oh, and trying not to trying not to let myself go there too soon and everything else. Now I can just, you know, I walk into the like I said, I walk into the the dressing room. So I, I grew up playing and singing bluegrass and country music, right? right? Gospel music. And a lot of people from the South did also. And I, I will venture to say, if you were to go into your, you know, to, I guess, a, like a uh, department or whatever, any kind of assemblage of all the singers here in your college, you go, who was five years old and wanted to be an opera singer? And you might have one person. The rest of us wanted to be some, wanted to be some different kind of music. Yeah. Whether musical theater or, or yeah. rock and roll or blues right. or whatever, jazz. Mm -hmm. My wife was at Warner Beach. She went to school. She started as a jazz singer. And mm -hmm. she became a singer. So, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to find somebody who is like five years old being like, what is this on Yeah. Makes this. I've met him and they're weird. Oh yeah. no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. super weird. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, Talking to you, Jordan Bish. Oh yeah. my God! Uh, what uh, <laughs> But I love it. And uh, so, so the thing was, like, I had this part of me that I missed. I love playing country music. I love singing to an audience that's this close. And that's not. I'm not singing, you know, Vintage or something. It's like. Yeah. You know, I can feel it, you know? Although Vintage and Country Music sometimes have a similar thing. Are they not the same thing? Yeah, no, that's, oh, 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 which brings me to my next point. Oh. Yeah. Well, the, the point of the, the whole point of the reason I wrote this show was like, I was like, man, I want to sing country music. And there were times, you know, I was at the one Metro Opera. They had this thing called Out of Thousand Stars, which is like this weird thing where you know, everyone's like, your alternative talent shows. Now, Sarah Jane McMahon, sang an aria with her head, with her legs behind her head, walking on her butt cheeks while she was juggling. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, boo. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. She's, Can she's, we start that here? Can you imagine the kind of shit we would oh, do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should. It's a great, I mean, really. Because people, you know, all of a sudden, you, you, you see people that when, they, when they're up doing, you know, I'll say, if you go, and they're like, <laughs> For, for the people who are listening, I'm doing standard bullshit opera gestures. Right? Yeah, it doesn't translate yeah. to audio, but well, all of a sudden you see these people who have no charisma in opera come alive when they sing a musical theater piece. Or they see, you know, often when I work with young singers, for the first time, they'll bring me their audio list, and I'm like, well, what's your favorite song that you like just to sing for fun? And I'll say, well, this song. And I'm like, no, not the aria. Like, what's, what do you sing around the house? What do you sing to, for your parents and stuff? Oh, I like this song. And they'll sing it. All of a sudden, I'm totally moved. I feel it, you know. And then they start singing opera, and it's like dead, you know. So I missed that feeling, you know. And I really wanted that. So you were singing these, all these, and 
most of it was young artists that were doing it. And there was a couple, you know, guest artists that would do it. And I really wanted to do some, some country stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about how I was going to do this. My buddy Craig Irvin and I were hanging out, and I was like, yeah, we ought to do Norm Shore and Drive. But bluegrass. Oh, that works so well. And he's like, all right. So the girl I was dating at the time played the spoons. And, and, and Craig played Craig, uh, sang harmony, or sang lead, because he was a bass baritone mm -hmm. about that time. And, and uh, he was actually the Figaro. Right? Was this? Yeah, he was the Figaro. And I was Cat. So I was, at this point, I came up with this Cletus and the Catfield and the Catfield family singers, this whole thing. And so we put on this thing where, where it was like somebody, like the, the, the Michael Mason and Craig Irvin had, had canceled. And so we, we got hired, we came in to fix it up. We, we don't know how to sing all these Spanish words, but we'll do our best. And it was like, I don't your drive off the lonely harbor road. So, like that, you know. Oh my God. People went ape shit. They lost their minds. And I was like, man, I've never had an applause like this in an opera. And I was like, hey. So, I, so that started the idea. I was like, man, this is, that was fun. I want to do that all the time. So later on, me and Leah, Leah Partridge were kind of looking. We, we sort of started picking this idea up and, and tossing it around. And uh, we, we tried to, to get something going, and it never really took off. And I was sitting in a bar with Thomas Hoover in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know it. Yeah, this, this is a lesson on how to get shit done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, me and Tom were sitting there, and and he's like, you know, Michael, I really want to bring you to uh, Atlanta to do uh, Deadman. He's, he's Israeli, so I was the best, best I can oh, do. Okay. They're doing Deadman walking, and, and it's going to be hard since Georgia. You know, Georgia's going to be tough stuff with that filming out. But he's like, I'd like to bring you in and introduce you to my board. Maybe you can sing some arias and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I guess I can do that. I said, but I have this idea that I want to do. And I, I, I had developed a little bit more. Basically, what I told him is like, what if like we do like your traditional bullshit opera function, right? Where it's like four singers gets up and they do the everyone does an aria and like two duets and it's like yeah. and all the husbands are bored stiff, you know. And then at the end of it, like one of the guys says, you know, uh, folks, I'm gonna announcement to make. Uh, and we were originally hired an opera act. We originally had two opera acts for this evening, and uh, through a miscommunication, we ended up with an opera act, an opera act, oh. and uh, they're here, and uh, they're not going to walk away from the paycheck, so uh, they've insisted on going on, so uh, folks, we'll just uh, you know, go out there and get yourself a beer or whatever, and come back, and uh, we'll have the second half, which will be a country, I guess a country music show. So... Basically, it's me and what I pitched was me and like three other singers that can play country music, play legitimately play country, not just play ads or have a band, like really play it. And then we'll come back in our alter egos as Cletus McCaffield and McCaffield family singers. Oh my God. And instead of doing like parodies of opera, we would we would have a conversation. So we're like, for every piece that happened in the first half, there'd be a corresponding country song. That would that would tell the story of, of that opera because basically opera and country music are about the same things. One takes three and a half hours, and one takes three and a half minutes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So he was like, so he got like I, I pitched it, and I was like, what do you think? And he was like, December seventh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, can you do it? It's less than a year away. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I get that together. 
no idea what I was doing. So I had to write the show and cast the show and everything in a year, less than a year. And basically, you know, I just started, I talked, I knew Leah, Leah was already, she was, she traveled around with Dolly Parton when she was younger as a singer. And I was like, we gotta find some more people. And Craig was gonna do it, but Craig got booked, so he couldn't do it. So I just had me and Leah and nobody else. So I started asking around, I found my buddy Corey Crowder playing bass. I was like, Corey, you're in. We still were missing one guy, and I was in, um, I was doing Tosca in, in uh, at Central City Opera. Mm-hmm. And John Burton was there. Now, you don't know John Burton is. Holy crap, you should learn. <laughs> he, is, he is one of the best goddamn tenors out there right now. His voice, I mean, it's amazing. And uh, we, did, we were doing Tosca together, so that was even more amazing. Yeah. So we were in Colorado and, uh, you know, sitting around. Colorado. And um, I was like, man, you want to listen to some music? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I like, you like country? He's like, oh. man, I love country music. I grew up playing country. He's like, you don't say. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, he goes, I, you know, I'm actually, uh, I used to be a studio guitarist for country musicians. Oh my God. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm actually on Billy Ray Cyrus's debut album. No. no. And I was like, well, he sucks, but <laughs> if I got a story for you, I've got that other thing. <laughs> so I'm pitching on it. He's like, absolutely. So we basically, the four of us, got together on Google Chat, or Google, whatever it's called, hook yeah. hangout. Hangout. Hang yeah. Google hookups, that's something that's a different app. Completely. <laughs> they should make that. Honestly, oh, shocking, isn't that thing? Yeah, they probably would test it. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. But they, we just, we got on, and we were rehearsing, like that was the only way we were, and pitching ideas and stuff. And basically, two days before the concert, we all flew to Atlanta and played together for the first time and put it together. And wow. it was a raging, I mean, I mean I, I, again, never heard an opera audience make the noises that people made right. in that show. Wow. Because, you know, we came out in the second half in our, our get-up, and then we started playing, and it's legit good country music, and, and it's got a lot, and the second half is basically a comedy show, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, one of the first bits is, is you know, when we were back, John actually stays, John Burton, the tenor, he actually stays as John Burton, the tenor. We work it into where like we're like our our, our lead guitarist is is got been hitting Grandpappy Shine. We can't rouse him none. So so uh, we heard you play guitar, John. You mind joining us up there? And he's like, oh no, and I'm like, oh folks, what do you think? Everybody cheers. He is forced into playing with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is it's a conversation about the universality of music and what's what what is in common between opera and country music, right. which is Everything. more than not. Right? Yeah. And so he was like. I was like, you know, y'all were thinking about that Don Gio Wendy fella up in there now. Uh, you were talking about this Elvira? What's your name? Elvira? Elvira. I was like, you say, you know, so she was, he was like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm doing John's voice now. Oh yeah, well, you know, um, you know, she was a good woman. She was, uh, she really, she fell in love with Don Giovanni and he left her and uh, she chases him around, basically wanting to repent. She wants to save the soul. You know, she's, she's, not just worried about herself, it's for him. She wants to save his life because she loves him that much. I said, so you say this, uh, this is about her, you say she was a, a good-hearted woman? Oh, yeah, yeah. You say she was in love with a good-timing man? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good-timing man. <laughs> just go, right? People just go crazy, you know, because they, they see these accomplished yeah. opera. Everybody on that stage has a career. You know, it's yeah. not like 
this is us. You know, none of us do this to make any money because we have we have, we do that other place. <laughs> it's for fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. But they see these accomplished opera singers also in their own right, good country musicians. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's love. Yeah, you can look so it up. Cool. We have a YouTube channel. You know. No, that's the kind of stuff my dad would love. My dad's also from Texas, and yeah. the thing is, like, having a daughter in opera, he's like, I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I love it, but yeah. I don't know. It's sure like, it's pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, oh my gosh, I'll have to show him. I mean, that's where we're, we're doing a tour, you know, around the South uh, in, I think, 2021. Getting a lot of the, you know, sort of regional opera companies like Pensacola, Birmingham, yeah. New Orleans, Shreveport, Baton Rouge. We're trying to get all these companies. And, Really, because for us, uh, every time I've gone to one of those events, there's always, uh, there's, you know, there's, in any couple that's on a board, right? One person loves opera and the other person doesn't get it, right? Mm -hmm. But chances are, if they're in the South, that other person probably either <laughs> knows about country music or loves it. Yeah. And so in that evening, there's the opera stuff for the opera people mm -hmm. and the country music stuff for the country people. And then they both learn about the other things in a way that they Absolutely. have as an education. Yeah. So it's fun and educational. Yeah, look at that. Wow. <laughs> I think it's rapid fire time. I think, I think we have right. enough time for rapid fire, fire time. questions. Okay. Favorite opera house to sing in? Oh, man, that's tough. Rapid fire. <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I have to say, uh, uh, Teatro Real. Okay. Uh, that's uh, a good one. Favorite city to work in? Uh. A lot riding on this one. <laughs> Maybe Nashville because it's like because of the country oh, music, right? Yeah, because I go out every single night. Venue you want to sing in but haven't yet? Oh, um, I'd like to see Covent Garden. I think that'd be kind of cool. I like my agent. I have a new agency over there. I just love it. I love spending some time, so it's cool. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Uh, favorite role? Uh, I haven't been written yet. Oh, good answer. Wow. So, someone's gonna do it. I haven't, I haven't gotten there. Yeah. Roll in your fog that you haven't sung yet, but you want to. Um, oh, that's a tough one, man. Roll in my fog that I want to sing yet. I like to do uh, The Shining. That'd be nice. Mm. That's, that I think, you know, I'm, I've got the mark cornered in crazy psychotic killers. Right, <laughs> so, of course. I mean, that would be great. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, mean, I can go with, you know, all this standard stuff, but man, you know, I just, I really get on mm. new stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Role that you would want to sing that is completely not in your thought. Oh. Uh, You know, I, I, uh, I like to sing Kanye. That'd be cool. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I expect you that. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I mean, you know, again, psychotic killers. I can't get away from them. Okay. Um, so I guess you already answered this one, but it was movie or book that you want to be in opera. There will be blood. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, and it's also the Upton Sinclair novel. Well, yeah. it's, it's overdue for a treatment. It would be a fantastic mm -hmm. show. And uh, your favorite thing to do when you aren't performing or in rehearsal, I guess. Um, I like to garden. <gasps> what do you uh, like to garden? <laughs> I like to garden. Like what? Like what? This is rapid fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I was going to say I live in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Um, oh, favorite country song? <laughs> favorite country song. Um, 
Nights when I'm singing, Mickey Newberry. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, favorite composer? Uh, Living or Dead. Living or Dead. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with J.K. Oh, man. Man has given me so much. Yeah. I just couldn't say anybody else. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that to be for both of us when I say that we are incredibly honored to have you on. Seriously. It's really such a pleasure to get to talk to somebody in the business. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. Feel free to plug anything you want to plug yes, right now. Well, I mean, since we're in Pittsburgh, yeah. And I don't know what I don't know what your audience is, but like you know, if you can go see Glory Tonight in February here in the Pittsburgh Opera, please do, because not only not only because it's a fantastic show, but in order for us to be able to 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 make to to, to take opera into the next generation, to the next century, and to make sure it's a vibrant living art form, we have to support young composers. Mm -hmm. We have to support young singers. We have to support companies that take risks on daring pieces like that. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, if, if we're, like guys, y'all, y'all's age and everything, I mean, you really need to be looking around at, you know, your colleagues who are here at school that are composers, that are directors, because those are the guys that are going to be doing things whenever you're grown-ups. Yeah. Trying to make a living, right? So, yeah. so we have, we have to support those things. And, and so, yeah, and, and then for me, you know, of course, you want to see that you can catch me at, in Iowa, doing Glory Tonight. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Cat Pack in Madison this year. Uh, Seattle, doing Trovatore. Mm -hmm. Dead Man Walking in Atlanta with Dane Barton, Kevin Burdett, Maria Zivchev, and Karen Slack. It's going to be a, a, a That's a cast. <laughs> and uh, Nixon and China and Stuttgart, for all your German listeners. And, yeah. um, we definitely do have them. Von Seck this summer will be fantastic too at Des Moines. Yes. So, and you can, they can find you on Facebook, your page on Facebook. Michael Mays Baritone, you can find me on, on Twitter and Instagram at Mazer the Hazer, which was my old fraternity nickname. Okay. And uh, <laughs> what Michael Mays Baritone. I sing my fair salon. Well, yeah, I used, I used to be a right wing uh, uh, evangelical conservative. Mm -hmm. Let's just say I went through kind of a transition. Mm -hmm. and now they call me the communist cowboy. Back. There we go. There it is. <laughs> That's a perfect note to end on. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much. You guys, really it's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for listening to Symphony Podcast Team. Yeah. We'll see you next time. <laughs>